Chapter Four of Four Mothers of Chautauqua by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the Threshold. There can never be a more perfect summer day, at least for the four girls, than that one on which the four white-haired matrons, whom their children lovingly called the girls, stood together on deck and watched the steamer slip swiftly through the waters of Chautauqua Lake toward the Chautauqua Pier. For the most part they were silent. There had been constant chattering during the day, and continual visiting among themselves by the company that quite filled a drawing-room car, and roused the interest and curiosity of other travellers. "'Don't you think they are a family party?' was one of the items concerning them that floated through the train. "'They must be. They all call one another by their first names, and are very intimate indeed, as none but relatives ever are.' Other items were added from time to time. "'Those people are all going to Chautauqua for the summer. Won't they have fun? It is delightful to see such a large company going together. I wonder how they came to choose that resort.' Later someone solved this problem. "'It seems that those elderly ladies were at Chautauqua years ago when they were young, and now they are going back with their train. Isn't that interesting?' I wonder what sort of place Chautauqua is. Why don't we go there some summer? Marion Dennis overheard this and reported it. Evidently we are missionaries, she said. Our mission is to introduce Chautauqua to the benighted. I didn't suppose there were any people of intelligence who did not know a good deal about it by this time. But you mark my words, another family party will spring up among these travelers some day en route for Chautauqua which will be a good thing for them. They laughed a good deal about being missionaries, and did what they could to interest strangers in their summer plans. They laughed a great deal that day, much more than was usual with them. It seemed to take very little to arouse their mirth. Part of the time laughter covered deep feeling, and much chatter was for the purpose of preventing others of their party from thinking too much, and pointing contrasts too keenly. Mrs. Ruth Burnham's scheme for gathering the forces for a summer at Chautauqua had prospered beyond her highest hopes. Not only children, too, but grandchildren and aunts and cousins had responded heartily. "'The very trainmen are astonished over us,' Eureka Harrison proclaimed, "'because of our altogetherness. I overheard two of them romancing about us.' I presume they think we are Mormon recruits on our way to Utah. There are so few of the male persuasion among us. Erskine here will do for the elder, who is marshalling us across the continent. You look dignified enough for the part, I am sure, and some of their missionaries are quite young. As the day drew toward the sun's setting, the party became quieter. Until, when the four matrons drew instinctively near together, and stood watching the glory of the western sky, they were almost silent. Very few among the younger ones could appreciate the feeling that the well-remembered landscape awakened in the hearts of those four women, whose memories were entwined with so much that sobered them. Erskine Burnham was one of the few— he darted an annoyed, almost angry glance once or twice at Eureka Harrison, as her penetrative voice and light laugh sounded continually from a few feet away. "'I wonder if it is impossible for that girl to be quiet under any circumstances,' he said to his wife. 
one wearies of her everlasting chatter, especially just now. She does not understand, his wife said gently. She is young and has no experience of life as yet to think back to. And no depth of feeling in any case, he said, speaking irritably. I cannot imagine how a girl like her is going to fit in at Chautauqua. For himself, he was entering into his mother's mood with almost painful sympathy. From a child he had responded in a way that was unusual to every chord that touched her, and had been trained from early boyhood to an almost worshipful memory of his father. He could almost feel the throbbing of his mother's heart at that moment over the thought that one was not there to share this joy with her. Yet there was Eureka Harrison, whose father had been so few years away from them, throwing off sparkling little sallies to make the more thoughtless laugh. Evidently she had not a thought of her mother. He felt justified in frowning at her, and in thinking that it would have been better if such a discordant element in their party had dropped out. All of which goes to prove how very little we know about one another. Just at the moment that Eureka Harrison was succeeded in having a monkey, made out of her handkerchief, climb an imaginary pole made of her arm, to the shrieking delight of some of the grandchildren, her heart was saying, Poor mother, how often she described this very scene to father, and how many times she planned to take this journey with him. It is too hard that when at last she has it, she must be alone. If I could only share her loneliness with her, if I knew how to throw my arms about her and kiss her into comfort, as one of Aunt Flossie's girls would be sure to do if it were their mother. Oh, me! I wonder why I had to be made of stone, apparently, with a raging fire of pity and sympathy hidden away inside. They were almost at the pier. It is very much changed, Mrs. Roberts said gently, with her hand on Mrs. Harrison's arm. Yes, was the answer, and yet it's the same shore, changed and the same, like us. Mrs. Dennis spoke quickly, cheerfully. It is a very different evening from the one on which we arrived before. Do you remember how it rained? You and Ruth wouldn't go out to find the meeting. Flossie and I had to go all by ourselves. You will never forget that, Mrs. Harrison said with a touch of her old brusqueness. I'm sure we repented in sackcloth and ashes. And we stayed in Mayville, Mrs. Burnham said meditatively. What simpletons! Then they laughed a little over their past follies and their present foolishness in recalling it all. "'Hear those old girls,' said Eureka Harrison, "'going over their memories of years ago when they were young. I wonder how it feels to be old. I never want to know. I hate the thought.' She gave a little expressive shudder which Erskine Burnham, to whom she was speaking, did not notice. "'They are none of them remarkable for great age.' he was saying, in what Eureka called his legal tone. He was never quite able to keep from resenting the thought of his mother being an old woman. Oh, no, but then their youth is long past, and there is a difference, of course. Mother is growing into an old woman in some respects. I can see it much plainer than she does herself. She draws back now from efforts that she would have made a few years ago without hesitation. I don't like it for her any better than you do in your mother. 
I know you see the same thing in her, but don't like to admit it. I don't wonder at that. I wouldn't if I could help it. I hate old age. For myself, I am afraid of it. The last words were murmured as though she were thinking aloud rather than talking. And again came that shudder which seemed to suggest a visible shrinking from something inevitable. This time Erskine Burnham noticed it and regarded her thoughtfully. He had no personal experience by which to understand that state of feeling. He was years older than Eureka, but he had no such shrinking from old age. I suppose one ought to order one's life in such a way that, when the activities that belong to youth and vigor begin to weary, the brightening future lying just ahead will absorb one's interests. He spoke gravely, watching the girl's face the while. Did she possibly have some serious thoughts? But her laugh was as light and her tone as gay as usual. No, thank you. The present is enough for me. I want to look neither backward nor forward. I think the good old Methuselah times ought to have stayed with us. Then our youth would have been so long drawn out that we should have had a chance to weary of it before it went. Fancy having eight or nine hundred years in which to enjoy Chautauqua, for instance. Do look at those lovely houses on the hill yonder. There must be charming views from those upper porches. I didn't imagine that they had such pretentious houses here. Isn't this Chautauqua that we are approaching? It doesn't look much like the woods that mother was always talking about. I'm afraid they have become dreadfully civilized. The boat touched the pier just as the sun sank behind the hills, leaving a trail of glory in the western sky, and that peculiar soft dreamy light over lake and shore that one seems to see nowhere else, and that no old Chautauquan ever forgets. Those of Mrs. Roberts' party, whose lives were chiefly spent in large cities where they never saw a real sunset, were so absorbed in the view as to be hardly able to give attention to the business of gate tickets and baggage. As for the four to whom the scene was not altogether new, they attended to neither baggage nor a sunset, but stood and gazed about them in wide-eyed wonder. "'It isn't the same place at all,' was Mrs. Roberts's final exclamation. "'Marion, don't you remember the mud we waded through on that first night? We must have gone up that very hill, only where is the road? Look at those paved streets! The idea! What is the name on that large building over there?' "'That's the arcade,' volunteered a brisk young man, who was looking out for possible boarders. The jewelry store is there, and the art store, and all sorts of fancy work classes meet there. Fancy work classes, repeated the dazed little woman. Who imagined such frivolities at Chautauqua? Mrs. Dennis laughed. You will have to accustom yourself to more startling changes than those, she said. Aren't we all going to a hotel for the night? Imagine a hotel of any sort at Chautauqua. I confess I had some fears, lest it should not be large enough for our party, but those houses in the distance reassure me. Do you remember the dining halls, and the man who told us whichever one we went to, we should wish that we had taken the other? I wonder where they are located, said Mrs. Burnham. One was on a hill, I remember. The hill must be there still, but I don't seem to recognize even hills. 
it doesn't seem possible that they will be able to accommodate so large a party as ours with all these people here already mrs roberts said but of course they can i was very explicit as to the number of rooms we should need i reserved one for burnham thinking that he might change his mind at the last minute as he so often does where is burnham asked mrs dennis isn't he going to bring up here some time during the season i don't really know what his plans are for the summer he was very vague i don't think he is sure of where he shall be he rarely follows out his own program anyway but he was very emphatic in eschewing chautauqua he has the strangest idea of the place the sentence closed with a little sigh they had been stopped for a moment by an obstruction in the road and when they started again the two ladies walked on together leaving their escorts to follow mrs roberts glanced back to see who was within hearing before she spoke again in lowered tone at first i hoped and prayed for his coming here until i found that eureka was coming eurie told me that she hadn't the least hope of her but it seems that at the last minute she changed her mind when i saw her on the train i thought that perhaps that was the reason why my prayers about burnham coming with me had not been answered i cannot tell you marian how anxious i am to keep those two apart for this summer at least i cannot help thinking that it will be an important summer for them both it is not that i fear their caring for each other as lovers you know i don't think either of them have such a thought the most that they do when they are together is to quarrel and burnham is the most merciless critic that poor eureka has but they influence each other for evil continually isn't it strange do you think that chautauqua can do much for eureka her mother is so pleased that she came but i don't know every letter from evan has a word of caution about my being too much disappointed in chautauqua he says he hears everywhere that it is very much changed and that i must not hope for the atmosphere that we found the outward changes are numerous enough and yet perhaps perhaps said mrs dennis cheerfully after waiting a moment for the completion of the sentence we shall find that walks and lawns and buildings can change without materially changing the atmosphere as for what chautauqua can do for eureka do you think any of our acquaintances expected or even hoped that our coming here years ago would have any good results suppose we hope for the best flossy dear and pray for great things not only for eureka but burnham the lord is not limited to chautauqua even though we did so signally find him here that we can never forget it the troubled little mother pressed her friend's hand as she murmured thank you Oh, Marion, pray mightily for my boy. End of chapter 4